This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. Welcome to Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly report from the Michigan Democratic Party. I'm Lavora Barnes, and the words this week, what's next? While assorted Republicans are getting booked, arraigned, found liable for slander, and generally spending millions on defense attorneys, Joe Biden and Gretchen Whitmer are talking about what's next. For Biden, what's next is a battle with pharmaceutical companies over prices. For Whitmer, an ambitious families and workers first agenda for a fall legislative session. The first half of the year was historic, a legislative session that passed a dozen major laws, all of which contribute to a future Michigan that is more prosperous, works to protect our planet from the ravages of climate change, and expands the individual rights of our citizens. Last week, Governor Whitmer took the unprecedented step of laying out an agenda for the fall session to do even more, her What's Next agenda. We are always focused on what's next. How do we take Michigan to the next level? How do we compete to win the future? How do we help anyone and everyone make it in Michigan? That idea of making it in Michigan has been the North Star of our economic development vision. We're focused on winning projects, investing in people, and revitalizing places. The What's Next agenda focuses on four fundamentals that impact every family in our state. What's next on the fall agenda for Michigan is the health of our people, the health of our planet, the health of our economy, and the health of our democracy. Legislative Republicans responded as expected, arguing for maintaining the status quo or even moving backwards. They called it a left-wing progressive wish list. One Republican leader said taking steps to combat climate change would turn us into a third world country, unable to compete for jobs. The bottom line is, Michigan Democrats have delivered historic results for our state and are not done fighting for our future. This legislative agenda is laser-focused on making Michiganders' lives better, with or without Republicans who continue to fall down a rabbit hole of MAGA extremism. Whether it's improving health care, fighting climate change, or growing the middle class, what Michigan Democrats are doing is unprecedented. Democrats' work is setting the standard for the country while ensuring that everyone can make it in Michigan. In Washington, D.C., it's the same story. While Republicans focus on defending the former president's crimes, staging hyped-up investigations, and even talking about impeaching President Biden just for revenge, the president is locked in on a better future for Americans. Just this week, he announced his latest effort on our behalf, taking on the powerful pharmaceutical industry by negotiating the price Medicare pays for life-saving prescription drugs. There's no justifiable reason Americans pay four times more for prescription drugs than is paid in Canada. The exact same pills, a much higher price. Thanks to the Biden Inflation Reduction Act, the price of insulin is being slashed to no more than $35 a month. Now President Biden is expanding the ability of Medicare to negotiate drug prices to 10 more commonly used prescription drugs. In a moment, We'll talk with a Michigan legislator who is part of the new wave of self-described suburban moms who are a growing political force in Michigan and across the nation, Troy State Representative Sharon McDonald. But first, an update on some of the other stories on politics and policies we're following this week with MDP's Dorian Tyus. Dorian Tyus. 
I'm Dorian Tyus. Here are some of the stories on politics and policy we're following this week. A Highland Park resident has filed a court challenge claiming that Donald Trump cannot be on the 2024 primary and general election ballots in Michigan because he had engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against the United States. Robert Davis, who has frequently filed lawsuits against public officials, is urging Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Bisson to declare that under the U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment, Trump is prohibited from appearing on the ballot next year. Benson's office has said they are studying the issue. Legal scholars, including some prominent conservative attorneys, have argued that the 14th Amendment would disqualify Trump from running for another term. Similar challenges to Trump's eligibility to run are being studied in several other states. A federal lawsuit arguing that Michigan's new state legislative districts illegally disenfranchised black voters will proceed to trial after a federal court ruling issued by a three-judge panel. A group of Metro Detroit residents are seeking a court order requiring Michigan's redistricting commission to redraw the state Senate and House maps. The legal challenge follows a similar one rejected by the Michigan Supreme Court. Ohio is looking to join Michigan in ending partisan gerrymandering of congressional and legislative districts. Voting rights advocates in Ohio are busy updating their proposed summary language for a ballot measure that would dramatically reform redistricting in the state. If it succeeds, it would replace Ohio's current flawed redistricting process that let Republicans gerrymander the state's maps after the 2020 census, even though the state Supreme Court repeatedly deemed the GOP districts unconstitutional. The proposed independent commission would be tasked with drawing fairer districts for the 2026 elections and then again each decade after the census. Anti-choice zealots in Texas have come up with a new strategy to stop women from making their own health care decisions. Designed by the architects of the state's heartbeat ban, proposed local ordinances, some already approved, make it illegal to transport anyone to get an abortion on roads within the city or county limits and allow any private citizen to sue a person or organization they suspect of violating the ordinance. Anti-choice advocates behind the measure are targeting regions along interstates and in areas with airports, with the goal of blocking off the main arteries out of Texas and keeping pregnant women within the confines of the anti-abortion state. The Biden administration has unveiled a long-awaited list of the first 10 medicines that will be subject to price negotiations with Medicare, kicking off a landmark program to reduce drug spending that is being fought by the pharmaceutical industry in court. The medications, which treat diabetes, cancer, and other conditions, are taken by millions of older Americans and cost Medicare billions of dollars annually. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services selected the drugs through a process that prioritized ones that account for the highest Medicare spending, have been on the market for years, and do not yet face competition from rivals. Additional medications will be selected for price negotiations in the coming years. Attorney General Dana Nessel scored two victories during the week that will save Michiganians millions of dollars. She intervened in rate hearings in which both Consumers Power and Michigan Gas Utilities Corporation sought massive rate increases for gas. 
With Nestle's intervention, the proposed consumer's power rate increase for natural gas was chopped by 55%, and the MGUC increase was reduced by nearly 50%. Nestle has also intervened in a consumer's power electric rate increase request, urging that the proposed increase be slashed by 75%. Governor Whitmer says more than 450 illegal guns have been taken off the streets as part of Operation Safe Neighborhoods. Since the operation began, law enforcement officials have conducted 4,145 check-ins with felony offenders, leading to 450 illegal guns taken off the street. During sweeps, officers have also recovered illegal drugs and ammunition. Bridge Magazine reports that state Democratic leaders hope to end the battles of local township boards that have often throttled Michigan's green energy efforts by moving control of the siting of energy projects to the state's Public Service Commission. House Majority Floor Leader Representative Abraham Ayash, a Democrat, told Bridge Magazine he plans to introduce legislation in the coming weeks to move control of utility-scale wind and solar projects to the PSC. Currently, projects must be approved by individual township boards. Since the expansive projects often involve multiple townships, Renewable energy companies must wrestle for approval from multiple boards, all of which can make decisions based on different standards and have at times faced enormous pressure from unhappy residents. Attorney General Nestles says it's too early to weigh in on the constitutionality of Governor Whitmer's move to create a new statewide education department to consolidate the state's early childhood and higher education programs. But for now, Nestle does not see a conflict between the authority of the State Board of Education and Whitmer's education overhaul. Whitmer signed an executive order last month establishing the Michigan Department of Lifelong Education, Advancement, and Potential aimed at bringing the state's early childhood and higher education programs within a single department under her administration's control. Links to these stories and other articles of interest are on our website partyonthepeninsula.com. From Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyus. Thank you, Dorian. We're joined this week by State Representative Sharon McDonnell. Representative McDonnell is serving her first term in Michigan's 56th House District, which includes parts of southern Oakland County. For nearly 30 years, she has lived in Troy with her husband and two daughters. She's the co-founder of Troy Indivisible, served as a precinct delegate for 10 years, and was elected as the co-chair and chairperson of the Troy Democratic Club. As a pro-community activist in Troy, she led efforts to save the Troy Public Library, recall an incompetent mayor, and expose a corrupt city manager. Representative McDonald graduated from the University of Michigan with a Bachelor of Arts in History. Her priorities as a legislator are funding and supporting public education, protecting voter rights, fighting discrimination, improving access to health care, and continuing to strengthen Michigan's infrastructure, economy, and green initiatives. Our Walt Sorg talked with her about the suburban mom phenomenon, as well as the priorities for the fall legislative session. Representative McDonald, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's a pleasure to meet you. And a pleasure to see you. Great to meet you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Let's start off with something that you symbolize. The hottest thing in political discussion 
is suburban moms. And that's exactly what you are, the new generation of the power brokers almost of politics. Why is that? I may have started that before the trend because I moved with my family to Troy in 2005 and everything is great. Troy is a really great family community. So many resources, nature center and library and huge community center, pools, multiple pools. And then after the Great Recession, suddenly the city was broke and they started talking about closing the library. And suddenly this stay-at-home mom thought, how can my kids live in a community without a library? And I started a two-year battle and built up a lot of friends, started a blog, brought a bunch of people together, and it took two years and three elections, and we finally saved our public library. And that was what got me started. It seems to be a real battleground, too, from both sides of the political spectrum. You've got the ultra-conservative suburban moms who are trying to tell you what your kids should read by banning certain books and banning certain classroom plans so that your kids can't be exposed, whether you want them to be or not, unless you do it on the outside. How is that battle going to be playing out, do you see, in Michigan over the next few years? It's a big deal, and people are finally starting to pay attention to these other moms. I'm a proud member of Moms Demand Action. I'm not a fan of some of the other moms groups that want to hurt our libraries and want to put blindfolds on our kids and keep our teachers from teaching them about real history as it happened in America. I believe in public education. I believe in public libraries. And I believe I, as a parent, get to decide whether I want my child to read books that just happen to be on my neighbor's top 10 worst book list. Their opinion is not really of interest to me. And when all of our taxpayer money is going to pay for the public libraries and the public schools, we're not going to let a little group of people with very limited ideals and opinions decide for the rest of us what we're going to read, what we're going to believe, what we're going to see, and what we're going to learn. It seems as though they're, in effect, telling themselves that maybe they're not very effective parents because if the book is in the library, they can't stop their kid from reading it. That's a question you have to ask about that. But they're very political. It goes so far beyond just this book-burning mentality. We have a lot of people in Troy who have been bashing our school board for years now, looking for a way in, looking for a way to get rid of our school board. And they finally thought they had it in a local issue, but they failed miserably at an effort to recall four of our school board members. Let's take a quick look at one of the issues that really crosses party lines a lot, and that is gun safety, although there are different responses to it. It's getting to the point where in the last few days, we've had shootings at a dollar store, at a Menards. We've seen them at Walmarts. Of course, the terrible tragedy in the Oxford schools. And there is a real controversy still amongst some, at least on the ultra-right, over things that have 70, 80% approval amongst the voters of Michigan. The red flag laws, for example, something that you supported, some people find that a challenge to their Second Amendment rights. And all it says is if somebody is really dangerous and a judge has determined that, they can have their weapons taken away temporarily. You know what's funny? You hear a lot from 
Republicans, their concern about mental health issues in our country and them being underfunded. That is, I think, a place where we meet, where we agree. But then that stops at the door of temporarily removing guns from a home where someone is in the midst of a crisis. And we know mental health crises like that can end in horrible tragedies, not just where people hurt or kill their own family members, but go on these rampages. And these are happening, as we all know, all the time. And what's sad, you go to another country. I lived in Japan myself for four years, and I know people who've been to other countries recently, and everyone stops them and says, why? What is wrong with America that this is happening to all of you? Why are people being killed by guns all the time? And why do you people put up with this? Why don't you do something? And I can tell you myself, when I knocked on doors last year, when I was running for office, that was always in people's top three concerns. People care about roads, people care about mental health, and people care about gun safety. And these three bills, these three laws that we passed this year, they're just the most simple, common sense gun reforms that are being tackled by every state. They already have these laws in Florida. You know, there are people here who wish Michigan could be more like Florida. Now we are because we have these three common sense gun laws in Michigan. And the laws in Florida were signed by Rick Scott, who is one of the most conservative conservatives you're ever going to run into. And I'll tell you what, the fact that there are so many suburban moms getting involved in politics, one big reason is because of school shootings, is because I think women start thinking, how can I protect my children? There's nothing I can do. And then they say, wait a minute, there's something I can do past signing petitions, voting. It's running for office themselves and making change themselves. And I am certainly so proud to be doing that here for my children and for all of the children of my district and my state's you heard a speech this week from a suburban mom by the name of Gretchen Whitmer, which focused on a lot of issues that are of concern to especially other women, but certainly all Michiganders. And given the fact that Michigan is basically run by women right now, all the statewide offices, the Supreme Court, the Senate Majority Leader, the chairs of both appropriations committees, virtually all of our Democratic members of Congress, Senator Stabenow as well. Does that change the mindset? Are we different because women are running the show here? I certainly think it helps that moms are running the show. Is it always about women? I'm not sure. We have had our Margaret Thatchers in the world, so I'm not one who says that some conservative that Republican the world women would be as well. Replaced. Not a lot of them. Yes. It's mostly conservative men on the Republican side. But you, the majority of the Democratic caucus in the House is women. That's right. It's pretty wild if you look at the House floor on the left side, if you'll forgive, it's mostly older white men. And on the right side, it's mostly women. And it's pretty impressive. And we really care. And we're digging in our heels, whether they're flats or a little higher than that. And we're just not going to put up with this anymore, which is not. One issue that you work on quite closely through your committee assignment as the vice chair of transportation, is something that everybody agrees on. Michigan roads suck. 
And that is something I know that the governor is focused on. What can we expect in the next couple of years to make our roads at least get them up to average? We need to do a lot more. The budget has just come out and the overall transportation budget is $6.6 billion. And the road budget itself is $2 billion. But there's a lot of work to be done. And frankly, we're going to have to up that budget. It's going to have to be more than that because we're just trying to stay in the same place with all of the road work that's being done. We just aren't getting far enough. We probably need to start considering some other legislation, including maybe lightening the loads of trucks and some other things. And one thing people really have to understand, it's funny when you hear at a door, my two concerns are you need to lower my taxes and you need to improve the roads. Across the border from us in Ohio, people say, why can't we have roads? What's wrong with our legislators that our roads in Michigan aren't as good as the roads in Ohio? And while part of it is the fact that they have their toll highways, it's also they pay more in taxes that are dedicated to roads. And if we want better roads, we're just going to have to pay for them. This is not some trick we're playing. We don't spend enough on our roads to keep them in good shape. And it's going to be more of a problem in the future. You're very close to the auto industry prior to your election. Had did a lot of work with the auto manufacturers. And the reality is electric vehicles don't pay gas tax. And that's the primary funding for our roads. We got to pay for it somehow, some way. And there is no popular tax that was ever invented. How do you meet that challenge? There is a study group working on it. And there are a few ideas, I think, that very shortly we will see at least one or two pilot ideas coming out in certain areas where we're going to try ways to fund the roads better and that will not be attached to just gas. It will have to be either we pay per mile or the way we pay our registration on our cars is going to change. Because even I drive a hybrid and I'm getting... 44 miles to a gallon. So I'm actually paying less in gas taxes. I'm actually paying less to go towards our roads. We have to fix that very quickly. As you look at the agenda that the governor laid out in her speech on Wednesday, there's a lot in there. And I think it's safe to say there's not enough time to do it all. Is there something on that list that the governor presented that's at the top of your priority list? Are you talking about for the rest of the term or just this fall? fall. I think what's going to be the priority this fall is going to be the climate package. I think that's pretty clear that we have one version in the Senate. We have one version in the House. And we're going to be talking about that very quickly. And it's mostly going to be about the clean energy package will be focused on changes to what our utilities are doing, how they're generating their power, and getting as close to carbon-free power by 2035 as possible. And when you look at Michigan's core industry, of course, the auto industry, that's the direction they're moving in as well. Michigan could well develop a reputation as the environmentally best state in the nation just because of that combination. That's why I think it's so important that We voted to put a lot of resources toward battery plants in Michigan. You know, it's time for us to get 
to the head of the line when it comes to working on battery technology, because this is the future of the automotive industry. So we have to commit to that. And it's going to cost some money, but we have to commit to it. And we want to lead the way. We don't want the battery plants to go to Tennessee and Ohio. We want to have them here in Michigan so that we are leading the way. And the challenges, we've been talking about that in the state at the top. We had a governor 20 years ago who was talking about battery plants and was derided by Republicans. Of course, that governor is now the Secretary of Energy and in a better position to promote the battery plants. But it's still controversy. You've got controversy right now about the plants because of partial foreign ownership. And it and there's nimbyism as well. There's a lot of people on the energy front that simply don't want it in their backyard. Well, I think we may have made a mistake. We've ceded that technology to other countries for too many years. I think the answer to the concern about partnering with Chinese companies when it comes to car automotive battery technology is that they're the only ones who have it. (laughs) We don't have it yet. We need to partner to build up our technology base and to become a leader in the future. We should have listened to Governor Granholm 20 years ago. We'd be ahead of the pack now. That's a good place to end this. Representative Sharon McDonald, thank you so much for being a part of the Party on the Peninsulas. Thank you. That's our report for this week. My thanks to Representative Sharon McDonald for adding her perspective to this week's podcast and for the outstanding job she's doing representing the people of the 56th District. What's next for you? Get involved. Contact your legislator and see how you can contribute to your community and state. There are countless ways each of us can make Michigan a better home for all of us. I'm LaVora Barnes. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week and hope you will be too. Party on the Peninsula is as a production of the Michigan Democratic Party.